we need to talk about Oprah Man because like I know a lot of people probably say this but I do feel like she's one of my soulmates I'm sure everyone says that about Oprah and I'm sure everyone's like I genuinely think I Welcome back, everybody. It's your host, Natalia, back for another episode of More Than a Pretty Face. Today, I am so pumped to be talking with Alex Wilton-Regan. She is a voice actress, an actress, activist, director, add many more hyphens after her name. (laughs) Um, She's based in London, so this is my first interview with someone across the pond, um, which I'm very excited for, um, working out time zones and everything. Uh, So, Alex, do you want to introduce yourself? I mean, I don't know that I can top that, hun. That was pretty great. I'll take that and I'll just move it into my CV resume bio. Uh, but yes, hello, I'm Alex Walton-Regan and I'm thrilled to be here today. Alex, I'm number one. Okay, right off the bat, what I need to get out of the way is the fact that your accents are incredible. So, <laughs> Wait, do you just mean my natural voice? No, just like, I'm, you well, being I mean, American that's... Where you're like, Oh my God, you're from Ingerland and I love that voice. Because if that's what you mean, then I have the advantage of just being British. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm talking about like your voices that you can do like for your acting. Like I was, I was watching um, The Wife and you came on and you started talking and I was like, no, but she's from England. What? I like had to double check myself. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. And then I was like, oh, no, she's, like, putting on a very good voice. She sounds oh, more American than I do. I was questioning whether <laughs> or not I was born here. Um, but, yeah, you just, I mean, how? Who, what, oh, where, and thank how? you. Um, I mean, American, I feel like we're so exposed to it in the culture, right? Because mm-hmm. Hollywood's culture you know permeates everything so I feel like it's on all of our tv shows it's on it's in all our music it's in the podcast we listen to so I feel like American you're kind of saturated with and then I think I just when I grew when I left drama school I think I just grew a set of balls and I was like I'm just gonna try this and if I fail that's okay so I tried you know lots of different American voices and slowly over time refined them And then same with like Scottish or Liverpudlian or South African or French or, you know, you just kind of work. But it was hilarious because I had an audition just last week and um, halfway through the director, he was like, so you've got South African on your CV. And I was like, my brain went, oh, yeah, I mean, I do. But that was from like (laughs) doing a film 10 years ago with a legit South African actor who between takes, I was like, okay, Jack, teach me this South African accent because he'd grown up there. And he was like, your jaw has to be very tight and everything's a bit angry so your bottom jaw doesn't move so much. You know, and it's sort of like that. And this was 10 years ago and then I'm in an audition last week and suddenly my brain went, South what? Yes, I can't there's a white yes. South African in me. Like, you know, so that was quite funny. Um, but yes, thank you. That's very sweet of you to say. Yeah, I just, like, I was so, and just, like, listening to you in interviews and other things that you've done, 
I was just like, she really can just like do it all. Like I wish, I wish I could do that. My, my parents do make fun of me though. Like the first, so we have family in London. Um, and the first time we went to visit them, I think it was like 12 or 13 and my parents were like, so you picked up a British accent while we were, <laughs> while we were there. Your parents are both American, I assume, yeah, right? Uh, yeah, so actually okay. both my parents are Jamaican. And so okay. uh, part of my mom's family, like when they, you know, some of them moved out of Jamaica, like went to England. And of then course, some, we have a huge yes. Jamaican community here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, um, and so like we, you know, have been to visit them. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. yeah. And I love, I love London. I, I love do. London yeah, we have a, we have a huge Afro-Caribbean community here, which is also great because it means we get all the food. Yes. And we get carnival, which yes. if Americans don't know, carnival is like a huge two-day festival over the uh, bank holiday weekend in August that basically celebrates Afro-Caribbean culture. It's and like have... two million people come onto the streets and party for free. It's, it's amazing. really cool because... There is something similar to that that, like, I went to growing up. Um, it was, like, the West Indian Parade. So, like, yeah. uh, like a town away. So, it's similar, at least where I was, that was similar to, yeah. to the carnival, yeah, 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 yeah. which is nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, my, um, my parents would laugh at me. They're like, so you picked up a little bit of a British accent while we were there. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry. Like, it's just so cool. And it was my... It's my first time being there, was, and I'm like 13. Let me live. Let I love me. that. Yeah, exactly. Let me live, mom and dad. Come on. So, I mean, you're based in London. Did you grow up there? Yeah, I'm a proper like Londoner, born and bred. Um, of which, you know, everyone's like, really? Because a lot of people will grow up in Luton or Birmingham or Manchester or somewhere, and then come down to the big city later you know and I'm like no I'm I'm a Londoner you know born and bred which is quite unusual and I actually grew up at the top of the carnival route which is interesting just kind of circling (laughs) back to that um so I've been going to that since uh basically since I was born so I'm kind of like very much I'm just I'm such a Londoner at heart you know I, I I love like the dirt and the smog and it's terrible, you know, and people the from LA are like, <laughs> yeah, and it's always raining and it's always gray. And then people move to LA and I, and I try to push them. I'm like, I'm like, but you miss London, don't you? Come on, tell me the truth. Don't you miss them? They're like, they're like, no, I get up, I go hiking in the sunshine with my dogs. <laughs> and then I get a, you know, low fat mocha decaf smoothie latte, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but don't you just miss bad coffee? they're like no Alex I don't actually I don't miss bad coffee stop asking me I'm not gonna give you a different answer so don't I know right yeah it's probably because I want to move to LA and I haven't so I'm probably just jealous so yeah (laughs) so yeah you want it do you I mean do you want to stay like forever and ever I definitely I mean I'm I love traveling for work it's like one of the biggest joys about being an actor for sure is you get to go to all these cool different countries and films and film there and you get to immerse yourself if you're lucky enough you know if you're there for like two three plus weeks you get to see the culture you get to explore blah blah blah. so I love that side of the job I love the travel part of being an actor and if I ended up on a huge TV show in LA, for example, I wouldn't hesitate to move. Like that would be super easy. And I've got lovely family in LA who are great. Um, so I see them a lot. And 
you know, I've lived on and off in LA since I was like 22 or something, but I just never, the, the longest I lived there for a stretch was like a year and a half. Mm. So I never quite settled, settled, you know? Um, but I could, you know, I could see myself there if, if the work took me there, you know, okay. and maybe they got rid of some of the guns. Cause that's like a thing we just don't have here. It's it like, is very strange to me. Yes. You know, I'm going to, I'm trying to keep my job. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very, it's very different. I, I wanted to ask you, cause this is, yeah, cause, please. um, you're the first person that I talked to that is like so far removed from like America, not yeah. removed that, but like, you know, you're, no, no, it's a flight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I've talked to someone from Canada, but like, I feel like that's a little different. Um, what is celebrity culture like there? Like, I feel like it's very different. I feel like it's like you can actually leave your house. Whereas like here you have, to yeah. have security in I would say, I mean, definitely, it's really interesting to me. I feel like if you imagine that America was kind of spawned from the British, right? And then there was this huge civil war where they separated from, you know, the king and so on and so forth. Tell me when my American history goes wrong, by the way. <laughs> um, but like, but if you think about that, it's always fascinating to me that like America has taken some of the best of British and Britain has taken some of the best of America across culturally, right? But we also seem to choose like the worst things from America to bring over to the UK, yeah. which I've never understood. Like things like we're increasingly privatizing our healthcare. Sorry, I will get back to your celebrity culture. No, no, no. I'm here like, for it. This is your time. I'm just sitting here. It's a roundabout way of like, you know, we're increasingly privatizing our universal healthcare over in the UK, which nobody agrees with on the left or the right side of the political field. So it's a mystery as to why it's still going on. You know, um, things like uh, tuition fees for higher education and university. You know, my generation was the last generation we got to go to university for free. You guys mm. are spending something like $40,000 or something to go to university, more. to go to college. Or more like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. By the time you leave, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yep. Um, things like, chlorinated chicken we've suddenly decided we want to import your chlorinated chicken and i'm like why can't we bring over the best of america like the heartfelt the honesty the kind of the coming together the talking you know the open discussions and forums that you guys have um so that's always slightly mystified me but going back to celebrity i would say that increasingly we have a more americanized way of doing celebrities so for example famous for the sake of being famous or, mm. you know, more and more shows that are just based around these personality types or more and more personality people being given brands to endorse and things like that. Um, and more paparazzi, but we have actually just brought in some laws about, I think you can't photograph people's kids anymore. And mm. I think America did that first. Mm. I'm pretty sure you guys did that first, that there was some, some celebrities that were like, no, you can't photograph my children, <laughs> which I agree with because it's yeah. like weird and creepy, right? Yes. Why would you take a photo of someone else's Very kids? weird. Very weird. I agree. You know what I mean? It was like if I would go to the park and take a picture of someone's child, I'd expect to be like punched in the face. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you don't photograph someone's kid. That just seems like it's so, so standard for me. Because the big thing, so obviously, because the only right, way me. to meet people is dating apps. And um, yeah. 
on them like constantly like people have like this is like my niece why is your niece why is your niece it's, i bet you it's a guy yes who would post that and it's a guy trying to prove that he's a nice guy i think it's, it's like the so, man with the puppy yes i think it's you so know? weird i was like does your like sibling know that you have like taken a picture of their child and put it for the world to to me that's weird like it's just super it like i i don't like to have pictures. and that's why you should not date that man natalia <laughs> that is why you should not date that man Do i just like to I, that person i don't like having pictures of like i'm not big on having pictures even of my sister and she's mm-hmm. like 18 like you know what i mean like it's yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it just feels weird to oh i feel very concerned with that i have a cousin one my youngest first cousin is maybe 22 now. I don't know if she's going to listen to this. Her name's Susie. Hi, Susie, if you're listening. But I remember when she was, you know, 16, 17, 18 and going through puberty. And of course, she was at the generation where Instagram was everything yeah. and everywhere. Whereas I was the last generation without Facebook. You're probably younger than me, so you probably don't remember a time without Facebook. But I, I only got Facebook I at do. like 21. I got something. Facebook later, though. I, so I'm, 20, I'm 26, but... I re- I got Facebook. I always get everything last. Like my friends, like call me eighty five year old woman. Like I I mean I am an eighty five. <laughs> I like just started using Instagram stories like a year and a half ago. Like I'm very yeah. <laughs> like I I'm, started about two years ago, so we're not far off each other. I'm I'm definitely my and I have a really really good friend who works for Instagram, yeah. and um I like texted her the other day. I was like. I just discovered filters on Instagram. So she's like, yes, you finally reached middle age. You're no longer 85 years old. Because I just, I don't know. It, I also, like, I think my house, like, my family was never big on, like, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I got, you know. I think that's kind of healthy. Because watching, you know, watching Susie kind of grow up and post this content, I'd be like, don't post that. You don't know how many bad men there are on social media, you know. But, of course, as a feminist, I'm also like, do whatever you want with your body. It's really complicated. <laughs> you know, it's it is, like, yes. it's complicated. You know, women should be allowed to do what they want with their bodies and wear what they want without repercussion or consequence or judgment. And at the same time, we have to just acknowledge that there are bad people in the world. My thing you know? is like, it's I, tricky, tricky field. It is. Cause I, but I think you can do social media without like posting like your entire private life. Like I always look to like, I always, listeners know I am in love with Beyonce um and (laughs) I'm in love with Beyonce as well she's amazing she is and you know like you don't need to know anything about her life but like yeah do you know what I mean like I fully believe if we didn't get that video of Solange beating up Jay-Z like we would have never gotten lemonade like you know like yeah I just think that there's there is a way to like be public facing without you know, having everybody like in all of your business and stuff and just kind of, or like my big thing also is, um, I'm not afraid to like post or, or have like myself looking sometimes a little silly, just, you know, just to humanize normalizing yourself. Yeah. Just not kind of like having constant, um, edited. Cause I was like, that's not life. And I thought it was to share with your friends. (laughs) I was very, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I realize once again, I know that I'm 85 years old. Um, so it's, it's <laughs> no, different. I think it's a really healthy way of doing it. Did we ever find out who Becky with the good hair was though? There was room. There was a rumor one time though, that it was like Rachel Ray. And I was like, really? 
That doesn't sound right. That, no. I, but once again, I'm going to let Beyonce do it. When she's ready to tell me. <laughs> we will be there. I will receive. be there with bells on. Okay. But like until <laughs> that time comes. Yes. But yeah. That I, album was extraordinary. Uh, that film was extraordinary. It was a true work of art. I, I mean, I think I watched it two or three times. But as in the film. And it is tran- transcendent. That's not a word. Transcendental. Transcendent. Transcendent. No, trans- I think it's a. Tra- I think I'm going. I think I'm going for transcendent. But it's like <laughs> it is a work of pure artistic brilliance. It really is. It just is everything about it. Just her ability to like storytell and craft a narrative is just so, and mm. commu- and just community like that is like that's the dream. Like to be able to mm. arc such a narrative. Oh, anyway, that's yeah. that can- the visuals, oh. the music. No, but I agree with you. It's so, like, I, mean, I think it's a very unique piece of art in time as well. Yes, it very much of its time, but like also yeah. can live on in so many ways, which I mm. love about all of Completely. her work. All of her work, yeah. I love that it can. Live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was I was asking the celebrity question because you know I went through like this phase, like middle school, early high school, where like I just loved watching like British TV shows and like. British culture. Uh, what did you watch? Um, I watched a ton of Skins. Yeah, um, Skins I watched huge. Uh, the Inbetweeners. Um, yeah, also huge. Um, a few, a little bit of Doctor Who. Um, I feel like there's a ton Doctor of Who other is so things. Bonkers. I think Doctor Who is one of the most British bonkers, like brilliant things. I'm never sure if any anyone else gets it, but like to us, it makes total sense. You know? I have. I mean, I have friends who are like diehard. Doctor Who, wow. like on I've a regular. I've done some Doctor Who audiobooks. You can tell them I've, I've done some of the Doctor Who audiobooks. <laughs> like I met someone and. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I've okay. That's, that. that's where that the one. that's where the text messages are going immediately after this. Um, <laughs> and I I remember so when I first started watching Skins and this was like obviously also like the very early days of like Facebook. I found some of the actors on Facebook and I like became Facebook friends with like two of them or something. Obviously I don't think they use them anymore because I barely use Facebook anymore. Yeah. But just like, I was like, there should be no reason that you should one be looking at your, cause like I think in America, like the idea that a celebrity would have a public facing Facebook or any, you know what I mean? And, and, and granted this was still like early on, like in, you know, the, hype of social media like when it was getting around but but still so it was yeah I I loved um British TV because it the kids were actually kid age also like when they did skins they they were all like 32 year olds which like here it's (laughs) like if you're under 25 and playing a teenager it's a miracle so yeah yeah, I really enjoy like I was like oh I wonder how different celebrity culture is over there versus like here and the need to kind of be in the public eye and things like that I think definitely like more and more people you know probably well this is what I read right more and more people want to be famous they view being famous as a job they don't necessarily know what they would be famous for you know if they would be a singer an actor a dancer a model a writer whatever um so I think definitely celebrity culture has permeated a lot more of society than we would recognize, but it could be because I'm getting older and turning 85 <laughs> soon. But well, I feel well, like well. it's, it's, I feel like it's also the height of tabloid frenzy mm. and paparazzi pictures. I feel like that height has slightly decreased 
you know, mm. and I feel like more and more celebrities like Hugh Grant, Meghan Markle, loads of them are increasingly suing newspapers and saying, you can't print something that's not true. You can't make up a story. You can't photograph my children, so on and so forth. And I think it does kind of get the papers back into, you know, a better ethical place, even by mm -hmm. just a tiny bit, you know, because they're so unregulated. They're so unregulated. It's horrendous. You yeah, know? You're I that. say we're unregulated. You guys have got bloody Fox News. That's like, wow. That's, I mean, that that is one thing we haven't got quite yet. But again, you know, there's this journalist who used to be with the BBC called Andrew Neil, who was very respected in his heyday. And now, for the love of God, no one really knows why. But he's setting up a news channel I can't even remember what the name of the news channel is, but it's very like nationalistic and nationalistic facing. And people are saying, oh, this is interesting. This is the equivalent of the UK's first Fox News, you know? Oh, so and it's slightly terrifying. That's so interesting. Oh, everything is leaning more to the right. And that's when I say about taking like the worst, some of the worst things of American culture. You know, we've just put in the head of the BBC is an ex-chum of, like, the Conservative Party, who are the equivalent of the Republicans, and then, you know, the head of some commission that's meant to be independent is, like, the former editor of the Daily Mail, which is the equivalent of a right-wing newspaper that, by the way, literally supported the Nazis in the 1930s. Not supposedly, they literally supported the Nazi Party, motherfuckers. Excuse my language. <laughs> No, no, and once again, it's your time. They're going to be running, you know, they're going to be running like the mainstream media. It's terrifying. Like, it's, it's completely terrifying. The day, I know, like, I was, th like, journalism in the UK is very, very different than here. It's more, it is mm -hmm. definitely way more tabloidy than, yeah. than here. And you kind of, like, at least from my perspective, it's like you kind of just have the BBC where it we is. We do have really, we do have, like, really good. So, Channel 4 News is pretty amazing, you know, mm. for, like, mainstream very heavily independent journalism um i would say channel 4 news is amazing they constantly win loads of awards same with the guardian they win award after award after award and then you've got the financial times which is very actually it's a great it's called the financial times so it sounds like it's all just about money but it's really interesting you know center of center political analysis very neutral um the Economist is obviously a great magazine. So there is really interesting stuff, but it's just swallowed up and drowned out by this, like, you know, by the Rupert Murdoch empire, who obviously started Fox as well. And Murdoch's got all the big papers and all the big right-wing right, right -wing brands, you know, with no responsibility. I will say and as Shakespeare said, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So that's not a good place to be, you know? It's, I think it's true. Like, there is kind of this domineering. I don't know if Shakespeare said that, by the way, just in case I heard this. It's like the, all, all um, the Shakespeare. I think it's fine. Shakespeare did not say that. Okay. Get all <laughs> the Shakespeare like, Sorry, people guys. coming after me. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think there is definitely, like, here, I think we're definitely seeing, like, a reckoning of how do we consume news? How do we get news? Who's telling the news? And wanting of more diverse voices. You know, I always say, like, newsrooms are way too white. Um, and I think yeah. that's something yeah, that we're yeah, yeah. definitely reckoning like with now, um, yeah. and just reporting on different stories and the idea it's like, we don't always have to report on like quote unquote social justice or like 
people of color. Yeah. Like, we can talk about anything. It's just, like, it offers a different um, perspective to things. Yeah. Um, I mean, our newsrooms are very, very white over here. And we have lot. Um, we have a lot less panels. So something when I travel, if I travel, I'll turn on CNN. And I notice that you've, and even Fox, actually, you quite often have a lot of different commentators. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I get the impression that there is a drive to have a much more um, inclusive panel. Maybe not the newsreader, but the panel, there will be, you know, a black woman or a black man or a LGBTQIA representative, you know, something like that. I think we don't do that quite so much over here, definitely. And that's definitely Um, a push that's, like, more recent, and I know, and yeah. it's interesting because, like, I know, just being here in D.C., like, I know a lot of those people that cycle through the same mm. networks because mm. D.C. is so small. Like, you, you kinda, see them. Yeah, you, you see I them. mean, I I know a ton, like, more than I feel, yeah. like, feel like I should because I'm, in my mind, yeah. you're always just, like, over there and, like, I'm over here just in my little pod area. So it's it's kind of they cycle through, and so a lot of them hit on different networks, and and so it's like yeah. we have to get a couple more folks. I feel like to like fully get yeah. like a full diverse feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so. but also to you, <laughs> we like diverge way. <laughs> but um, I love these conversations. So do I. I just also want to know about you. Um, mm. So in terms of like acting, one yes. we also have to touch on the fact that you got to work with the incredible Glenn Close. Like, you were just, like, casually in her presence. (laughs) I know. And she was casually in mine, and my brain was firing (laughs) off all these messages, like, holy shit, that's Glenn Close. Oh, okay, I'm having lunch with Glenn Close. Oh, okay, Glenn Close is, like, kissing me on the cheek. There's actually a moment in The Wife that you can, like, freeze frame it. You can press pause. Mm -hmm. And on the freeze frame, it looks like I'm leaning into snog. Glenn Close, like to fully French kiss her, even though she's playing my mother. And I'm actually going for her cheek just to complete that story in the scene. I give her a kiss on the cheek as my mother. But if you, if you freeze frame it accurately enough, it looks like I'm just going in all tongues blazing to kiss Glenn Close, basically. I mean, would that be bad though? Like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> if I was allowed to, I would have a hundred percent taken her up on the offer, you know, but I feel like it's rude not to ask in a post, post yes. too world. I feel like consent is a big thing. Yes. You know? We should always get consent before we kiss Glenn Close. Cause you always get consent. Exactly. So, I mean, what was, what was that like? Cause you were also working with, um, Jonathan Price yes. on the same film. Yes. Yeah. Like, and yeah, also yeah, yeah. another legend. And yeah, so yeah, I, yeah, he is. just like, what was it? What was that like for you as an actress? Like, were you like, I've made it mom. It was very cool. I mean, I'm, well, my mom thought she'd made it because she played Glenn Close in the audition. So my mom was like, you know, and just recently I booked a job <laughs> opposite Uma Thurman, that mom also did the audition for. So mom's like, I've done Glenn. I've done Uma. I'm ready. I really feel like I'm ready for the big time now, darling. I'm like, okay, yes, mom. Um, <laughs> All of a sudden, no, your mom like has an Oscar, and you didn't know, like, you know, exactly. My um, so Jonathan Price, I did King Lear with him in a in a theatre called the Almeida in London, and you know, rehearsing King Lear took like three or four months, and then the play ran for probably three months. I think twelve weeks. 
So by the time you've done six six months with John and Price, you're like, all right, mate, what's happening? You know, it's like, he's just John now. So going on to that set, he was very sweet and very lovely. Um, and, and it was quite normal. And it didn't even feel that weird, him playing my dad, because we'd been around each other so much on the King Lear set. Mm-hmm. Obviously, playing opposite Glenn is like the honor and privilege of a lifetime, you know, that... I really hope I get to do it, do again one day. And I was thrilled because she got nominated for the, uh, the best actress Oscar mm-hmm. that year. And it just felt thoroughly deserved, you know, because I watched her on set and I genuinely thought she was amazing. And she's just such a powerhouse of a, of a woman. You know, she's a bit like when we were talking about, you know, Beyonce or we're talking about Oprah, like Glenn has that kind of vital life force energy mm-hmm. that just pulses through her you know Mm -hmm. and it's kind of amazing to watch you know it's the same with like doing this this tv show opposite Uma you know I have a tiny part but even just acting opposite with Uma it's I was just watching her and I was like wow she really is a movie star she's the definition Mm -hmm. of someone who she kind of lights herself from the inside out Mm -hmm. you know she doesn't need it's just interesting I think there's there's actors who are like working actors and they're good at their job. And then you've got character actors who are really like mercurial and different and love to play the odd or the quirky. And I personally, I love that kind of work. I'm really into it. And then you have genuine movie stars who are just a little bit something extra, you know, and sometimes movie stars can be terrible actors, you know, (laughs) not Glenn and not Uma, you know, but you can, of course we, we can all think of some, we go, yeah, they're really famous, but I don't get it. You know, so they're a movie yeah. star, but they're not necessarily an actor. But obviously in Glenn and Uma and John's case, they're all amazing actors and brilliant movie stars. And there is just something about their energy that's like, I don't know, man, maybe they're all like gluten-free and wheatgrass shots or <laughs> who the fuck knows? I don't know, but they're doing something right. You know, they're doing something right. So how did you get into acting? Like, I know you have a big start in the theater, um, and I fully believe that the best actresses and actors all start in the theater um, as a theater oh, kid myself. So how yeah. did you, you know, think like this is I what I want to do? I just never wanted to do anything else. I mean, it was a bit of a nightmare because everyone in my family is like so smart and like a lawyer or works for the NHS or runs a business or like is in construction and has a proper job and is a doctor, you know. So... <laughs> everyone in my family is like really high achieving and smart and brilliant in their field. And then I was like, from the age of four, all I wanted to do was act. I have no idea why that we have no actors in my family. It's a completely bizarre, you know, we have, we have a couple of artists, like we have a musician in the family. We have a sculptor in the family. We don't have any actors. It's a completely odd thing. And I mean, you know, it probably stems from some sort of childhood trauma of being ignored by my parents now thinking about it. Actually, it's probably just my parents weren't paying enough attention to me. I also do therapy on this podcast, so you're welcome. I love it. Thank you. I'm all about the therapy, so this is great. Um, I I told you I loved your podcast. I was like, I was like, Natalia's a kindred spirit, you know? Yes. This is amazing. This is is music (laughs) to my ears. This is such a great way to start out my day. So it's like, no, so, and I don't know, I just, I loved it. And then I went to Saturday drama classes and then I did 
you know, some like teenage drama exams, you know, and then eventually I finished my A-levels, which is the equivalent of graduating high school for Mm -hmm. you guys. And I went to drama school and I kind of just threw myself into it. And of course there have been terrible periods of absolutely no work, can't pay the rent, working three jobs, you know. I mean, there was one time I was literally like, waiting tables during the day in a restaurant and pouring uh, pints in the pub at night. And then on the weekends I was nannying. But on the whole, I have been very lucky and very blessed. And I know that, you know, even the fact that I get to meet yourself and have these kind of conversations. (laughs) No, but it's true. You know, there's, there's a lot of people who don't get this, you know, and I feel very privileged to, to be in these positions, you know, and do the jobs that I do do, you know? No, I do. I I mean, I feel honored to get to talk to folks like you. Like every time someone says yes, I get confused. And (laughs) (laughs) I do that when I get a job offer. I'm like, really? Are you sure? Okay, fine. Um, There's no one else available. I was like, okay, well. Because it's it's cool. I mean, just you get to meet so many types of people in it it, and – and talk and hear their stories and, and just be like, oh, this is this is fun because I love it just being like a conversation because I just want to know about you and yeah. kind of like how you got your start. And it's great to hear, you know, like you're like, oh, I've just always kind of wanted to do this. Did yeah. you did you know that you wanted, I guess, to like be on TV or were you like, I want to be on stage or I love the stage. Like the stage is definitely my most natural kind of comfortable environment. And I think that that energy required for stage is actually the same energy that goes into voiceover work a lot, Mm. which is why my work translates well into video games. But, you know, the power of the close up on film, for example, or the power of just the sets and the authenticity of the sets and the situations you find yourself in in film or television um, uh, productions, there's nothing like it. You know, it's also imitating reality. So it's like both, all all mediums have their advantages. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just love to work. Fundamentally, I'm an actor who really loves to Mm -hmm. act. And, you know, and, and I wish I got to do it more. Definitely. Of Mm. course. You know, by the way, just circling back to something you said about meeting people, you know, one of the things I loved about your podcast is I was like, oh, episodes are like an hour long. It's fantastic. It's a real meeting of people and meeting of minds. And that's another thing I love about being an actor is I get to go to work with so many different people. And it isn't my job to be different people. So don't I love to meet different people? Of course I do. You know, and I think that's, I don't know. It's like, I'm clearly you're a people person because you do this in long form <laughs> and I'm a people person. And I think that's sometimes what is lost in the culture of celebrity, which is what we were talking about earlier. Sometimes the person's humanity is lost. You know? It is. Cause I, something I've learned, I learned very quickly when, you know, I moved to DC is like, people are just people every day. Like I am, I had like um, she's she's now being nominated for the directum uh, for a, a presidential appointee position, and she was on my podcast and um, and I had met her because of because of work. She used to come into our DC bureau all the time, and um, and she's and she's great near and she's like an incredible woman, and I and I adore her. But yeah. I remember when the episode came out, and you know, obviously working in DC, you have a lot of political 
friends and people in journalism and they're like I can't believe you got Mira and I I to me I knew she was like a rad lady like you know what I mean but I didn't but I was just like it's Mira like you know what I mean like I I, you kind of and I'm just like she's also like just a a person so the whole the whole point you know behind the podcast was always like I want to just talk to ladies that I think are you know or lady identifying that I think are really yeah rad because we're kind of all the same but different yes. because yes. we still have to put our pants on and, but like, yes. how do you put your pants on? Maybe a little different than I put my pants on. I want to hear yes. your story. And so we just sit and we chit chat for an yes. hour about yes. putting our pants on. What, which is fantastic. <laughs> now, hang on. Was it you? And forgive me if it wasn't, was it you who was speaking to um, Charlotte Clymer? Yes. Yeah. I also, I mean, she's fucking amazing. She is a delight and a half. I got to know her, you know, know her, like, quote-unquote, through Twitter. And when she follows me, I followed me, I was like, I'm so cool. I'm so cool. <laughs> well, I, I met her by chance because um, another woman that I've had on my podcast, <laughs> she, she runs this incredible organization called Running Start, um, who I adore, and I've, like, spoken at events for them. Um, and I was at one of their events, you know, in the before times a couple of years ago when we could socialize with one another <laughs> and Charlotte was there speaking and I was like I gotta meet this lady yeah. and I yeah. did and then she came on so she was like in the first season um and That's and just such cool. a such a delight because I just I just like hearing people tell me who they are and I think like these yeah. long form bits are just so like you get to hear the quips and the you know the sarcasm and the fun yeah. and the haha and yeah, so like yeah, yeah. it's For so sure. it's I mean talking to you is so interesting because you have such a different perspective because you're from somewhere like somewhere so yeah. completely different somewhere that I love yeah. and that I've been to a few times but like <laughs> but it is definitely like a different experience yeah, yeah, and that's a different spin what on I it. love yeah, hearing yeah, yeah. um I want to also ask you like how did you get into video game like that's video something games? I never thought about <clears throat> it was something I never thought about <laughs> so you're not alone um, video games was an act of desperation because I couldn't keep waiting tables. So it's like, so actually, do you know what? That's unfair. I wouldn't say video games was an act of desperation. I would say that getting into voiceovers just as a general, so like mm-hmm. doing radio ads or TV commercials or anything to do with the voice was a real, just a kind of point of despair where I was like, I cannot keep busting tables, you know? especially because we don't have tip culture over in the UK. So, you know, keep that in mind. And I was working at one restaurant that used to steal our tips. And I actually did report them to um, Inland Revenue at one point when I left. Because <laughs> I was like, fuck you guys. You're paying me, un- they were paying me under minimum wage. They're paying me six pounds something an hour. Under minimum wage. Then they would top up our pay packets. They would top up our hourly wage with the money from the tips. And then they would keep the surplus. And I was like, that's not okay, man. Anyway. Anyway. Trash. Just pure trash. (laughs) (laughs) Just pure trash. Exactly. Um, So I couldn't do that anymore. So I put together a a voice reel. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. It was not easy getting an agent. It was actually really hard. It took me three mail outs over 18 months. And at the end of maybe sending out 60 demo reels, one agency got back to me and said, we'd like a meeting probably because, you know, someone who sounded like me had just left the agency or or whatever. And they had, they had a space available. 
anyway, so I went on this meeting and I signed with them. And then I have to be honest, I was just incredibly fortunate. You know, mm. I, I didn't just hit, it was like, and my agent said it. I remember he said, he said something like, he said something like, um, we expect it to take time with artists for them to t- take off. But you didn't just hit the ground running, you hit the ground and you flew, you know? Mm. And I I kind of felt that because I got very lucky very quickly. You know, the first video game I auditioned for was Dragon Age Origins. And that was the that was part one of a huge trilogy called mm-hmm. Dragon Age. And I got the job and I didn't know what I was doing at all. <laughs> you know, but I went in and they were really sweet to me and I got the job. And then that kind of springboarded me to other jobs. And it was also at a time where a lot of actors would be like, oh, are you doing video games? Is it not going very well for you? Sorry, babe. <laughs> I feel like, like um, I have food in my fridge, so I'm yeah, fine. And I can pay my rent. And also, let me tell you, it's a very different conversation nowadays. It was a very different conversation even just two, three years ago where people were like, how do I get into video games? How do I get into video games? But now with the pandemic, people are even more desperate to break into this market. Mm -hmm. Of course they are, you know? Um, And actually I've started mentoring five women to help them break into the video game industry. Um, And, but, but as in, because uh, because the video game industry, to me, as I see it, is still very, very white. Mm. So I put out a call to... to I basically wanted to work with... They didn't have to be young, actually. That's not true. Um, they I just wanted to work with actresses of colour mm-hmm. and be like, let me help you to break into this market because as a feminist, I very strongly believe that economic empowerment is the key to kind of ever developing social equality. It's not perfect. Of course it's not, but it's a stepping stone. And if I can economically empower, you know, um, five black and Asian women to become, you know, more sustainable, more independent, not have to wait tables, all that kind of stuff, push their art forwards, then I think that's quite a good like legacy to leave. You know, I agree. I think that's incredible because, like, I the big thing which when we talk about, I mean, we're having these conversations a lot now of like, how do we have diversity? And something I've always, I was like, pay us, give us jobs, yeah. and pay us. Like that. Completely is, agree with you because that's Completely how you get agree people. With you. That's and don't give me any of this bullshit. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna swear and be honest. Sorry, I interrupted you. Sorry, pay us. Finish your <laughs> point, and then I will add my point. Sorry. No, I was just saying, like, you need, you need to pay us because, like, that is how you keep us. Number one, mm-hmm. like, also pay us well, like, because exposure does not pay yeah. my light bill. It doesn't. Obviously. I'm sorry. I yeah. like, I yes, I love my job, but like at the same time. Like, these lights, got, rent is still due on the first. You expect me to yeah. eat. You expect me to get to work on time. Like, that requires, yeah. I don't know, funds. And so, like, yeah. this is, that's something that I've always said. It was, like, you create barriers of entry automatically when you don't have jobs that pay yeah. people equitably. Like, even the position that I'm in, as much as I love my job, like, I was at a place of privilege in which I could 
figure out how to sustain myself on very little pay. Because this idea that journalists are coastal elites and we get paid a lot of money is a farce. Um, (laughs) Well, it's like the idea that acting is glamorous and that actors get paid loads is a complete farce. Jesus Christ. I mean, actors get paid nothing until they get paid insane amounts and then yes. you, you slightly start to flip out does that make sense no it totally because it's, it's I, a real feast or famine i actually um, i actually interviewed another like a friend of mine from college who she's a theater actress and she's yeah. talking about the same thing you know we we're talking about how um it's like right now has been hard because she's like i have so many friends that were like consistent on broadway we're having, and now they've lost their health insurance because you have to have a certain yeah. amount of hours. Or she's like, we're just like not working. I had to get a temp job. Like all of those things, it's like we're it's even not money in the bank. So <laughs> insane. But even that is so insane for America. She didn't work enough hours, so she lost her health insurance. And this is like the great kind of the great irony about America, right? America's the richest country in the world, and you've done it by developing a fantastic economy with a with a, an impressive you know, and very powerful workforce, right? But if you want people to keep being economically productive, to keep you in position number one, you have to have a healthy workforce. So why on earth does America not have universal healthcare? Makes no sense from an economic point of view. Sorry, that's the basics, you know? And so to me, the fact that you would even say she hasn't worked enough, so she's lost her her health insurance. I'm like, mate, if I get sick, I just go to the doctor and no one asks to see a credit card, by the way. Anyone can go anytime, day or night, 24 7, 365 a year, you know? So even that is like, is, you know. And by the way, we still have like racist bullshit that goes on in our health system (laughs) as well. No, we do. I mean, of course. Like like you guys do. But it's not, it's ours is, ours is not driven by money, is my point. Does that make sense? No, it it does. you know, it's just driven by good old fashioned racism, <laughs> not money, just good old fashioned racism, but it's not actually economically driven by that, you know? So it's like, I don't know, that, that in itself is a whole clusterfuck. Yeah. And, but my thing about working with these, um, two of the actresses is black, one of them is mixed race and two of them are Southeast Asian. And my whole thing about working with them Yes, of course I want to economically empower them because I really believe in that as an equalizer and as a leveler. But also it's just like, if I hear one more person, and I'm like white, right? And I'm like, if I hear one yes. more person <laughs> say to a black actress, can I have an African accent? I will punch them in the face. I will say which country, okay? <laughs> I'm like, I can't bear it. So I don't know how these actresses are dealing with it, you know? It's just idiotic to me, you know? And and also, like, the exoticism of these actresses. You know, of course they can do accents that I can't, and that's a real talent and a real skill, and they have to be hired for that as well. But they also just have to be hired for the fact that they sound like they're from London because they grew up in London, same as me, you know? Yeah, because if you were to put you... Especially, I think, with, like, voice acting, right? Because I don't see your face. Like, I don't know... So it's like, if you just sound like, cause I can't, the thing is like my, my cousins, like I wouldn't, if I didn't see them, you wouldn't know them from anybody else. You know what I mean? Like there's not, I mean, sometimes there's there's a Jamaican twang in there definitely with some of the older cousins, but like you still wouldn't really. Look, and I'm not going to go and audition for, 
you know, a, a Jamaican character because that would be deeply inappropriate. Unless, unless it was like a really interesting white Jamaican who'd grown up in Jamaica. Do you know what I mean? Unless that was the character. So they're going to be able to do things that I can't do. So we need them. But they, we also just need them because they're good actresses who sound like me from London or can do a great American accent or can do a great Yorkshire accent or can do a great Irish accent, you know. It's, do you think yeah. that, like, this, that kind of thing, like, being able to mentor these young women has been, like, one of the highlights of your career? Yes, definitely. Definitely. Um of course, they drive me mad at points because there are five of them, so I'm grotesquely outnumbered. Um, but they are so, like, they're so lovely. They're so sweet. They're so hardworking. They're so passionate. They all have different things that they're really interested in. Like, two of them are, are, are also qualified and, like, qualifying to be life coaches. Um, one of them is just the most sensational multi-voiced gamer who knows everything about the gaming world. You know, um, that everyone's a great actress. One of them's just hysterically funny, like hysterically, hysterically funny. And the other one looks like an Asian Nicole Kidman, you know? Okay. Well, Nicole Kidman can literally do any, like, you forget that she's like Australian half the time. (laughs) Exactly. So it's just, you know, they're all deeply inspiring and supportive of each other and kind. And they really make me proud to be their mentor, you know. And and the the goal, of course, is that when this pandemic is completely over, over, I'm going to take them around to all the studios that I know and all the casting directors and the directors. And I'm going to be like, hey, this is this is this is the future. This is serious talent. I've just put a year of my life into building these women up. And I want you to take them as seriously as you take me. And I'd like you to give them, you know, as many opportunities as you can. Of course, it doesn't mean they're always going to book the job. No one ever does yeah. in this industry. But it's about having the opportunity. And I firmly believe that these women deserve it. That's so awesome that, like, you're helping carve away. Because I think that you do need intercessors, inter- interlopers, intercessors. One of those things. <laughs> People to, you know, basically like stand in the gap for you to help you, you know, achieve, achieve your goals and, and kind of like rooting you on from the background. So it's so lovely to see that, like you take your career that seriously enough that you're willing to make space for others. Thank you. Cause that's, that's really important. sweet to say. Thank you. But I, mean, but I also, I, I think, I think one of the things that really, hit home for me like with with the kind of okay so let's make it really easy for people to understand right when the me too movement happened and so on and so forth and it's still ongoing and we talk about feminism and of course there are difficulties in feminism about inclusivity or not and so on and so forth right but even when we look at that it's really simple and obvious to say Rape is not a women's issue, by and large. It's a man's issue, and men need to fix that because men are doing the majority of the raping, right? So men need to make a change, you know, in order to protect women. If you apply that same logic to sort of racism, conversations around race, racism, inclusivity, diversity, like, it's not not a black person's problem. It's a problem created by white people to keep us in positions of power Therefore, it's up to us to do things to change, to change that, you know. And I just, I take that very seriously, 
you know, um, because what, you know, why wouldn't you? And also I think probably the same with you, you know, I'm not sure. Where did you actually grow up? I'm not sure. Where did you actually grow up? You didn't grow up in DC, did you? No, no. I grew up in Connecticut. So it's, okay. It's I very... don't know how mixed Connecticut is. Is it, I don't know how inclusive it is, but London is like a melting pot yeah. of inclusivity. And I think it's one of the few cities that get it right or certainly got it right when I was growing up, you know? Mm. Um, and because it is such a melting pot, it's like, you just can't, I can't, I can't be a white person that sits back and sees some of my best friend friends being treated like shit because of the color of their skin. And by extension, these actresses, um, no, I'm not, I'm not sorry. I'm not going to stand for that. No way. If I, you can do something about it, do something about it. I will say like, it, I think that's something else that kind of attracted me a lot to like television in the UK was that casts yeah. were divert I mean skins was divert like skin you know what I mean yeah, like it was, was it for its, yeah. for that time like it was very different with like sexuality representation and skin color representation yeah. and religious um like representation yeah. and I think that's something that I, I feel like the UK did super well there wasn't and there was rarely ever and um any at least from what I remember I was young. I was a baby yeah. child. So, but like, no, like tokenism, you know, around, around I that. I feel, I definitely, I think the Brits are less prudish than the Americans. Mm -hmm. I think Americans are much more prudish when it comes to sex and sexuality. But I would say that we've got a long way to go in terms of racial representation and inclusivity on screen. What I think is amazing about America is because America is still such a young country, comparatively speaking, mm -hmm. right? It's like uh, 200 years old or something. Is that right? Like, sure. Um, I feel like sure. I should know. But. <laughs> but it's like, but I feel like your conversations around, you know, race and like the Black Lives Matter movement that came out, you know, from America, I feel like you have those conversations much better than we do as Brits. And mm. ours is still much more under the radar and people get very uncomfortable with the idea of white privilege or the idea that the British Empire profited from slavery, which is literally what it was built on. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And, yes, I do. You know, all over the world. <laughs> it, it, India, Africa, you know, all over the world, the Brits profited. You know, Australia, New Zealand. like there really wasn't a corner of the globe that the Brits didn't travel to, you know, um, and do terrible things in but that made us a very rich nation that we all benefit from today. And to me, it's just like, to me, it's just like, come on, everyone, let's put on our big boy pants and have these difficult conversations. I'm going to say something that's going to be wrong. And probably someone's going to listen to this podcast and go, wow, she said a really ignorant thing or she said a racist thing. And that is absolutely justifiable to come at me with that. So that I can go, oh, wow, okay, cool, thanks for sharing that. I'm going to think about that, take it away, digest it, blah, blah, blah. We, we just have to stop being so, like, what I can't do anymore is have the conversation that white privilege doesn't exist. What I can't do anymore is have the conversation that uh, sexism isn't a problem. What I can't do anymore is pretend that we don't need the Me Too movement or the Black Lives Matter movements because we need both of them. Like, we... we the society in the West is screaming up for these movements, you know? 
And so that's the thing I'm not willing to entertain. Like, I'm not willing to entertain a conversation anymore where someone says, well, that black person was racist to me. And I'm like, okay, I'm not even going to have that not, conversation with you. That's, yeah. I agree. I'm not, I'm not, that's not happening. Sorry. So there's just some things now. It's the same with men. Uh, they're like, they're like, but what about blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm literally not having that conversation with you. People you know? ask me that. Like, I had a friend ask me that this past summer. He was like, how are you dealing with like, you know, it was right after George Floyd's um, passing yeah. and he's like, how are you dealing? I was like, I don't engage. Like, I just like, I, yeah. I just have no energy to engage when people talk about certain and say like foolish things, especially on, on yes. Facebook. Like I have no, I have no interest in doing, if I don't care about you, like you, yeah. if I care about you, you know. Because I will then yeah. come for you and be like, hey, what you said was X, Y, and Z. If I do not care yes. about you, I have no patience to talk. I'm not going to, yes. I'm not going to get into a fight. One, I don't have the energy. I have things to do, naps to take. Like, I don't want yes. to, like, I don't want to do naps. that anymore. Naps are revolutionary, babe. We, naps listen, I, you should follow the nap ministry. It's this incredible Instagram account. Okay. I, I do. I do. <laughs> and that's why I'm like, I agree. Naps are rebellious. They are anti-colonialist. Like, naps are revolutionary. Because it just takes you... It's just like, I'm not going to deal with the foolishness. And I have a very low tolerance yep. for foolishness. And I feel like yep. in my big age of 85, like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want... I just don't want to do it anymore. And I think... Yeah. And I I realize that, like, that... That's, like, who I am. And I think, like, there's other people... And that's, like, a gift of mine. My ability to connect with folks yeah. that I do care about and do want to engage yeah. with, but also my ability to be like, but I don't care about you. And not in a rude way, but in a just like, yeah. there's no need for me to. And, yeah. and I think and that's something like that we have some to get of to. Basics, you know, I feel like there's some basic points that really we've been over now, you know, uh, just for example, like the argument about black lives mattering. I feel like we've gone over the basics you can go and do your own research now. Do you know what I mean? If you mm-hmm. still don't understand what that slogan means, you need to go away and you need to understand why all lives matter is not appropriate. Do you see what I mean? Yes, you, as exactly. a slogan. You know? I was like, Google's right there. Use her. She's <sighs> abundant. She's you know? free. She's always on time. I like, I have nothing yeah. else. I have no. nothing else. And for anyone you. who doesn't understand, it's like, yes, we know all lives matter. We never said all lives didn't matter. We just said that black lives matter more now because we have to start looking at them and listening and respecting and valuing and so on it's and so a- forth. My favorite explanation of that was all lives can't matter. I think this was the one that we put on our placard actually was all lives can't matter until black lives matter. How do you, so, I mean, how do you see, like, I guess, Obviously, your activism work intersection intersecting with your acting work. Besides yeah. the mentoring of five yeah. five young women, but like, how else do you see it? I mean, I love to do. I just I love to do great scripts. You know, I love to do interesting scripts, meaty scripts, and you know, of course, unfortunately, those are the great scripts that everyone wants to do. So they're few and far between but you do have to actively push and seek them out and, you know, fight for them. I just, the film that comes out, there's a film coming out tomorrow called A Nightmare Wakes, in which I play the lead role of Mary Shelley. Yes, and, I also wanted you know, to ask you about that as no, well. No, 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 I'm sure, I'm sure, I mean, that's how it you came about. But in that film, it's, you know, it's written by a woman, it's directed by a woman. The majority of the, the people 
in the involved in the production as a whole are female, you know, and it's a great feminist take on a woman who was a feminist, you know, a feminist author who wrote this incredible novel called Frankenstein, you know, and started sci-fi basically. And it's a real, that was a great example of a script. The wife, it's a great, again, a great example of a script that like, you're just like, I have to do this because it's so important, you know, for society and kind of politically, you know? Um, And also, raise your head above the parapet and speak out, unfortunately, you know, like by mentoring. Yes. But I try, I, it's interesting. Actually, this is the first interview I've done where I've talked about the mentorship. Mm. Um, and I think it's because it's very important not to make it about me. It's about mm-hmm. making it about the women, but because this conversation was going in such a political direction, I was <laughs> like, you know, this is no, but it's an example of yeah. what can I do? I tell you what you can do. You can literally go and mentor someone. You know, you can give them a core, a course, you know, in mentorship. Like, how do you value mentorship? I mean, if it was a course, we've done 10 sessions. It'd, it'd probably be like a thousand pounds, you know. I'm, I'm not going to charge them for that. I want to do it because I believe in these women and I believe in bringing people up with you, you know. Um, and actually, you know what's so crazy about that, about mentorship, Natalia, is I have never met these women in real life. Because we are in the middle it was all done of during the pandemic. Yes. Yes. And I was auditioning for the course in August, September. It was in August last year, pandemic. Started it in September, pandemic. Now February 2021, still pandemic. I've never met them in real life. In real life. I've met them through Zoom. Zoom and such. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Which is how I know which one the funny one is. You're the funny one. Yeah, exactly. You're the life coach one, you know, so... No, but I, I think that's really cool because I, I think having people who are already in those spaces actively working to make those spaces more diverse is, like, I think what a lot of spaces need versus, like, let's all try to break in. Okay, but there also needs to be people rooted deeply into those spaces yes. uh, to open to open doors and, and give access to. Yeah. Now, I, I do want to ask about Mary Shelley because I know this is coming out soon, and it's just coming out yes, tomorrow, tomorrow, right? tomorrow. Yes, yes and I'm shut up. <laughs> are you excited? I mean, obviously you're excited, but like, what was it like playing this role, this character, someone that I think we often forget because we think I didn't know about Mary Shelley until I had to like actually read Frankenstein for English in high yes. school. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what is like we to play a character to, like that? We, we have to read Mary Shelley as well here in high school, which mm-hmm. is really interesting. Um, but just, it was so incredible to, like, play such an iconic role. You know, she's like a British heroine of literature, mm. right? So to do that as a British actress was very cool. I'm not going to lie. And then to see all these great characterizations of, like, Byron, you know, Lord Byron, quote-unquote, mad, bad, and dangerous to know, you know, played by our amazing Philippe. I mean, it was just brilliant, um, and that was a hoot. And then Julian, who plays Percy Shelley, you know, it was all, it's kind of amazing. Claire mm-hmm. plays Claire Claremont. You know, it was kind of amazing to see these characters come to life. And we got to shoot it. This was the most insane thing to me. We shot it in an actual museum. In an, like, they hired an actual museum house, like a house mm-hmm. in America, but a house with a capital H, right? That had been built by some 
arch- British architect in like the early 1800s that was now a museum that gave, you know, like guided tours around mm-hmm. this property, huge, vast estate. And we shot there. And so every frame that you see when you see a chair, when you see uh, there's a sofa, there's a particular sofa mm-hmm. in which might be two sex scenes on this particular sofa so you'll notice it but on this particular sofa that is a genuine antique sofa in the museum you know so wow and they're like hey go have at it oh go enjoy yourself sweetheart is what they said you know so um so I feel like that was just such an incredibly immersive experience to be set there and then the, the house itself is on an estate surrounded by forest with like real deer in it. And I remember sometimes just lying in the bed, looking out the window that was in front of me. I could just see the deer walking past, you know, it was so beautiful. It was so elegant, you know, um, I loved that. That, that was, that was amazing. Yeah. Did you, was, do you feel like it was one of your more challenging roles or? It was, but I loved it so much that I would do it all again tomorrow in a heartbeat for free. Mm. Having talked about how important money is, I would do it for free. (laughs) (laughs) It just, I just, I loved it. I loved the script. I loved playing the character of Mary Shelley. I loved the journey that she went on, even though it's very, very dark and it's very, very depressing and it's difficult to watch at times. You know, it raises some fantastic points that, you know, about women's life then and how it compares to women's life now and the love of art and creativity versus the love of a man or your children or your family. How do you mix all that together? How do you marry it together? I really would do it again in a heartbeat. Like, because I, because I love, I love to go deep. You know, I love mm-hmm. these big characters, these difficult characters, these interesting characters. That's, that's what I want from my career is give me, give me, give me the hard stuff, you know? So give what, me the, the, Yeah. So what would be your dream? Like, what is, you know, like, okay, if I get this thing, I'm a happy lady. Well, I definitely want to play Hamlet, which I know is very big and ambitious and also the wrong gender, one might argue. Absolutely not. Um, No. (laughs) Absolutely not. Exactly. It's 2021. Go and do what you want. Um, But I feel like Hamlet's, Hamlet's descent into madness and the kind of investigation of mental health, I feel like I have a lot of experience in that area. So I feel that I could genuinely bring something quite valuable to the role. Um, but, you know, I mean, I say that. I think I think at this point in my life, honestly, it's unlikely to happen, hon. But I will, but I will take, you know, oh, just give, me a, just give me a great script. So that's where it always starts. It starts with the script, you know, so give me that great script. That's what I'm really interested in. Um, do you want to do more TV or more film or theater? Like, you know, again, it's the script. Mm. It's whatever the, whenever the script is great. If you give me a great, if you give me a great TV script, I'll do that. If you give me a great film script, I'll do that. One of the things that I love about film, you know, is that you inhabit a character for maybe two to three months. Let's say if you're the lead in a project and then you leave it. And I quite like that. So I like that in a year you could explore, you know, three, four, five different characters. Remember, like, Naomi Harris 
shot her stuff for Moonlight in three days and mm. got an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress, you know. So she was, could you remember in Moonlight, she was the lead character's mother. I've never actually gotten to Am see Moonlight, which is... It is a work of art. I know, I, it is a work of I am art. so behind, so I'm always people. behind on things, so yes. I no, it's, just, it's just beautiful, it's just beautiful. But the reason I love that story is because her character, I'm sure it's Naomi Harris, it's not, I'm sure it's Naomi Harris, her character is so important and pivotal in the film as the lead guy's mother. And she, as an actress, got nominated for a Best Supporting, uh, Best Supporting Oscar she was only on the film for like three, she did three days of filming, you know? So in a year, think about how many cool characters you can play, mm, you know? Mm. Um, that to me really appeals. What also appeals to me about a long running television series is that you get to really deep dive into a character. And that's really interesting. You know, you get to do that over several years potentially and go on this, these roller coaster journeys for these characters, you know? And I think that's extraordinary. And that's quite like video games. You know, if you play the, the lead in a video game, you know, I've, I've got video games that I've worked on for years, literally years, not figuratively years, literally years of my life. And I love it because you're just constantly exploring, you know? It's tiring, but yeah. it's worth it. Artistically, it's very rewarding. And a, a lot of the video games that you do, do you um, do the, oh gosh, what is it called? Like, you're also the... Making um, the movement. Facial capture. Yes. yes facial capture yes. and performance capture. I'm doing yes. motions so as you, if people can see me, but... Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so the motion capture is when you're really just doing, like, the motorized skills of the body. So walking, picking up a cup, running. That's what you would call motion capture. Mm -hmm. And then performance capture is what I tend to do, which really they would only hire actors for which is where they take the face, the voice, and the body in one go, and they film that in one go, and then they put it through a computer and animate you. So I do a lot of performance capture, which means, what I'm, again, what I love about that is I kind of have, within reason, quote-unquote, full control over the character and of the body, and I, I you know, that's... Like, I like that, because that, that's what you're doing, right? You're playing the whole thing, not just a part of it. Yeah, no, because you are then literally the actor in that you're... And you yeah. get to be animated, which I feel like is fun. I want an animation it of is, myself. It is very fun. I mean, your ego goes through the roof, so be careful when they do animate <laughs> you. Just be aware, be like, oh, yeah, Alex said that, like, my ego would go through the roof. And it has. And it has, um, your Your ego goes through the roof, definitely. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's a laugh and a half because I still look at a video game and I'm like, God, that really is my expression. Like that's the face I make when I'm disgusted, for example, or wow, that really is the face I make when I love someone. Mm -hmm. That's my face, you know? That's so cool. Um, I'm amazing about that. Yeah. Are you, I mean, are you a big gamer though? I'm not a massive gamer. I'm one of those terribly vain actors who picks up all the games that I'm in and just plays my sections. Um, yes, <laughs> I love really that. Bad <laughs> really bad of me. Um, and, and like, I will play other crucial bits of the game if people like you have to see this. Um, but I, I do have the games. I do dip into them because I like to understand the mechanics mm -hmm. of the game. How does it work? What does it run on? How does it, you know, function just from a te technical point of view? But it's mainly 
they um, I mainly just watch and play my own bits. Sorry, I mean, guys. I, I, video games are long, okay? Like they're really long, hun. They're, they're really long, really long. So I'm I don't blame yeah. you. I can never fully get in. Like <laughs> I have guy friends. I'm like, all right, that's good for you. I'll sit here and chit chat, but <laughs> um, Alex, we've been talking for so long, and so we've come to the end Aww. of our end of our time. Wonderful. Although I could talk to you like forever in a day same um but the last Thank question you. that i ask all my guests is how do you define being a woman or womanhood oh so good how do you define being a woman or womanhood you define it by defining it exactly as you fucking want and in no other way that anyone ever tells you to i, like I think that. that's the kind of I think that's the kind of essence of feminism to me. No holes barred, no glass ceilings. You go out there and you do what you want to do and you do it for you because it's right for you. That to me is, is womanhood. You know? I, like yeah. I think you've given the shortest answer or the most concise in a very short amount of time that I've had. <laughs> but I, I, and I love that because usually we're like, Oh my gosh, I don't know. And I'm like, guys, I ask this every episode. We should know by now. Um, <laughs> but this, Alex, this was great. I couldn't honestly have asked it for it to go better. This was oh, fabulous and a thank treat. Thank you so much, Natalia. Um, it was really, really lovely. It, thank you for having yeah, me. This is great. I mean, do you have anything that you want to shout out before? Um, uh, no, I mean, A Nightmare Wakes is released uh, on the 4th of February on Shudder. And you can subscribe for free. For the first seven days, if you want to watch the film. Um, and if anyone wants to follow me on Instagram or Twitter, it's just at Alex Walton Regan. And this has been really lovely. And I hope that we get to do it again sometime when I'm the lead in a huge TV show or another, you know, huge film or something. Yes, yeah, so remember so us little people. When Oprah's available at the same time, because I feel as we discussed off air, that the three of us would be very good friends. I, so, all I want to do is hang out with her. That's all I want to do. Same, babe. Same. That's so, all, you know. Just let me be in her presence. Just like a little bit. Exactly. Um, so, you know, this is great. Um, thank you <laughs> so much to all the listeners. Uh, thank you for this, you know, this past episode of More Than a Pretty Face. It was great. In the meantime, in between time, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at prettyfacelady 3 Go ahead and rate, review, subscribe, and share. It does help the show grow. If you'd like to connect with me, please email me at prettyfacewomen at mtapfpodcast.com. And um, also, quick reminder, folks, I have a new podcast called The Lead Graph that comes out every other Monday. So go ahead and make sure to check that out. Everything will be linked in the show notes. And talk to you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>